Welcome to the newest episode of Rancuracy. Today we are going to be talking about the world building of Twilight. And I know that probably has people very dubious because Twilight is known for a lot of things and none of those things are the world building. Yeah, usually when people talk about Twilight and the world of Twilight is to talk about the sparkly vampires who are really stupidly good looking. And that's kind of what they do. They are stupidly good looking and they sparkle and then, then they drink animal blood. If you ask someone who knows a little bit more about Twilight, they will know that there are shapeshifters. Uh, you have Native Americans who turn into wolves in a very unfortunate decision by Meyer. And uh, what I can only interpret to be a massive overlook by the editor. If you are a devoted Twilight fan, then you will remember the mention of Children of the Moon, AKA werewolves who were run extinct by the Volturi, brought up briefly by Edward in Breaking Dawn, immediately forgotten about. And that's it. This is the world of Twilight. It's so many fantasy series. If you have one kind of supernatural creature, then you really have a billion of them. Harry Potter, there are so many of them that J.K.R. was able to write an encyclopedia and not only sell it, but then base movies on it. Though it is, of course, <laughs> oh. dubious whether those movies are actually based on the Inuit's commander, but that's a very different debate. Point is, Twilight is a very sparse world where really the only creatures that are can be called rampant are the vampires. Well, taking two steps back, Rats, this is sort of the norm of a fantasy series that's set in our reality, quote unquote. Uh, there's a world secret from ours for name some reason in Harry Potter is the statute of secrecy. In other series, it may be a civilization that is underground, but for whatever reason, we as normal people don't know about it and our protagonist happens to wander into it and we can believe that this is, in a sense, our reality with this other reality adjacent to it. The protagonist is able to take this isekai role and for those who are not huge nerds and don't understand what that means because they don't watch as much anime as I do, isekai is when a character enters into another world. So it could be another dimension, could be underground, could be uh, strictly monitored with the forgetting spells as in Harry Potter. So it's not that weird to see this kind of a setup in Twilight where Bella stumbles upon these secret vampire society that's not really a society that nobody else knows about and that there are other creatures that are not really around that again nobody else really knows about. In Twilight the explanation for why nobody really knows about the vampires comes in the second book New Moon with the Volturi. The Volturi are an organization of super powerful vampires ruled by three kings uh, Aro, Caius and Marcus. Their whole shtick is that they have a law. Keep the secret from humans and we learn that this comes with a series of sub-laws, like don't create immortal children whose brain development is frozen, and now we have a toddler with the capacity to wipe out an entire village over a single temper tantrum. And in other laws, like don't leave newborn vampires who can't control themselves because they will also wipe out entire villages. Those sub-laws are just, you need to do this or the secret gets out. And that's kind of what the Volturi are all about. And later on we get, and this is sort of veering into the Twilight, the plot of Twilight, but the Volturi are depicted as corrupt and all that. And, oh, the secret is there to oppress us. They don't let us eat all the humans we want. Those monsters. And the thing is that as this is Team Bella that says this, these are supposed to be the good guys who are lamenting that humans are not being sacrificed in their honor. And those bastards, the Volturi, have been keeping them down for millennia. 
Yeah, you had some really cool guys come over and talk to Bella about how, oh, in my day, we used to kill people all the time. And I want to depose the Volturi so that we can start killing people all the time again. And Bella goes, oh, yeah, that's the depose the Volturi, yeah. <laughs> what is and you can best tell in life, Bella Swan? Kill and you can tell women. it's not because she agrees, but because she just thinks this sounds really great and she's not thinking about what they're actually saying. She just, oh yeah, Volturi bad, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you. Anyway, this has been a digression. Back to the Volturi. They are the reason in Twilight that vampires not living openly. The Breaking Dawn debacle, which people who remember what Breaking Dawn was about besides Bella gets pregnant and has a demon baby, will remember that the Volturi find out there's a demon baby and they first assume that this is an immortal child. An immortal child is an immediate death sentence, so they come on to the Collins. The Collins, of course, assume that oh, we only need to prove that we are that she's not an immortal child and then we'll be fine. They'll leave. And Volturi say, okay, she's not an immortal child, but this is a demon baby. Uh, are you <laughs> sure she's not dangerous? And then the cons go, oh, so you guys are still wanting to kill us? You're oppressors. So we knew this wasn't about the secret. And to be fair, uh, that was Garrett. <laughs> True. I am so sorry for having slandered the Collins. We really need to do an episode on the entire Breaking Dawn debacle because we are getting, we are digressing massively. But the point is that the Breaking Dawn debacle showed that the Volturi's priority was the entire time to ascertain whether or not there was a threat to the secret. Is Rinders Menum an immortal child? No. But is she a threat? Maybe. In the end, they, they get definitive proof that she's not, and that is when they leave. What a lot of people wonder is, why have this secret in Twilight? Why, why do we do this? You know, in Harry Potter, we get sort of explanations of they don't want to be bothered by the muggles and the witch hunting. In the Twilight world, Bella never really wonders too deeply about it and never really figures it out. She just sort of takes it for granted. But we do have this sort of unanswered question of why even have this? One explanation is the man is keeping us down. The Volturi are these corrupt rulers who do it to feel powerful and to be able to execute whomever they choose and are wishy-washy in deciding who is breaking the law and who is not based off of what talents they happen to need, as they will take gifted individuals from this or that coven as they come along. And the thought is that this is what they might be doing with the Cullens themselves who have several gifted members a few of them, they are convinced that Aro would desperately want. Whether he does or not is a different story. The other explanation is a little more complicated, but let's get into it. All right, let's look at the Twilight Vampire. And one thing, important thing to remember is that these guys are not like vampires from any other series you've heard of. I'm talking, you know, the traditional Dracula. They are not like them. The uh, things like Helsing, Shiki any vampire media can you, you can name. They are practically invulnerable, but we'll talk about this. The vamp Twilight vampire never tires. They do not sleep. Their skin cannot be cut by anything except their teeth and the shapeshifter's claws and teeth. They move faster than the human eye can track. That is insanely fast. We are very good at tracking motion. They are very, very strong. They don't feel pain or even discomfort the way we do. They don't need clothes or shoes or any of that. They can sit still for weeks and not feel the need to move or beat each other up without being damaged at all or feeling any pain. But with this, they are always hungry. They can get comfortably by by feeding uh, once every two weeks or so, but they're always hungry. Their bite, unlike most vampires, is an automatic death sentence for a human. Even if the vampire doesn't kill you, which they probably will, as they're described as being like sharks with blood in the water, uh, the human, once bitten, 
will transform into a vampire. It's one bite and you're done if you're not killed in the process. So basically, they're kind of like the alien from Alien. Not the not aliens where you can start killing them off with flamethrowers, but the original alien where you're not killing it and they probably should have wiped out humanity ages ago because of something called the tragedy of the commons. And so to get into what that is, is that there's this idea of you have a common pasture where you can have all your cattle graze and you share it communally. Well, everyone brings in their cattle and they want their cattle to graze as much as possible. So they think only of their own benefit. And what happens is you run out of grazing territory because there's no imposed cost individually except for when you hit the end and everyone has grazed too much and you need a third party to mitigate how much people are taking. So that's the tragedy of the commons. And what we posit is that in the twilight world, there is a tragedy of the commons, which is how much humans can a vampire eat and not destroy a society. And the Volturi act as the third party who regulate that. It is first mentioning that, well, I can get into that because What's the law accomplish? And the obvious answer is that Maya needs it for a proper isekai. Bella is an ordinary girl, she's just like you, and she's living in our world when she discovers the existence of vampires. She can't be living in the apocalypse world of the Matrix, where um, humans survive for farming or anything like that. The toilist explanation is, well, Maya just needed the Volturi to have the secret in place. And I am going to posit that she probably didn't think about it as Deeply as we have. Probably uh, not. She needed a world that looked like our world, but with bloodthirsty vampires running about who, for whatever reason, aren't eating whoever they want. And Bella has never heard of vampires before. Yeah, well, she has, um, but she thinks they're a myth. Now, in-universe, Jasper's backstory is worth touching upon, as he was turned because there was this vampire centuries ago, Benito, who realized that he, like, he wants territory, right? Territory means many, many humans he can eat. And a very good way to get territory to fight off other vampires is to simply create a bunch of vampires because newborn vampires are easy to manipulate. They just want blood. They are very violent. And if you have the control, they're easy to create. So he starts creating a bunch of vampires and then other people start creating a bunch of vampires. And now you have what is known as the newborn wars in Twilight. And this was just spiraling out of control until the Volturi came. And Jasper is one such soldier who was created for these vampires. Uh, they sort of came out under control as the Volturi said, okay, you guys can don't break the secret and carry on. But Jasper makes it clear that without the Volturi, the newborns war, the newborn wars would have kept spreading. They would have covered the world. We also learn of the immortal children who used to be rampant. Like, you want a kid? Make one. Oh, he butchered a village? That is sad. Now he's crying. Create another child, maybe. Have Give him some company. The world of Twilight is going to be completely out of control without the Volturi. We never actually get this explanation laid out clearly to Bella. Instead, the only time you ever actually get someone attempting to do some kind of explanation for the law is Aro making a very interesting speech about how we have to hide from the human militaries. And we are bringing this up because if we don't, then Twilight fans will come into our comment section and say, hey, what about the militaries? That's what Aro said. So we got to debunk that one. All right. So the sad, sad reality is that we're on the pessimistic side of humans would not be able to meaningfully fight vampires. Vampire reveal, well, first it would likely be denied. But if it is taken seriously, there would be a panicked, hysterical event of, oh my God, they're eating people in the streets. We are in 28 days later, but the zombies are even faster. 
and not zombies. For a little real world commentary, perhaps, COVID-19 proved that, you know, even when we were faced with an understandable threat that we had known might come, countries failed to cooperate, political parties and capitalists tried to take economic and political advantage of the situation, conspiracy theorists went rampant on either end of the aisle. So assuming that we're going to have a coordinated and efficient military response to vampires who are not, they are not an organized front, they're very individualistic. The Volturi, you know, sort of enforce this law, but they do not lead an army of vampires is very naive and unrealistic. So even if we go in the nuclear, which is not a good outcome and not good for us or the or a vampire who has, is hit with it as they are probably made of carbon, just like us, it's not good. And the blast radius will likely catch very few vampires. Remember that a vampire can move faster than the human eye can track. The velocity required for that is insane. Our eyes are very good at the tracking motion. They would be able to see the missile in seconds before the impact, and they would be able to get out of the blast and fallout radius probably within that time. We could sit down and do the math, but I don't want to do it. So the nukes aren't going to work. So how are you going to kill the vampires? Humans will be wasting time trying to figure out weapons that don't work because remember, they don't really know much about vampires. Everything we think we know in the Twilight universe has been, propaganda is not the words for it, but I would say carefully disseminated lies from Aro himself, who is uh, the author of many of the vampire myths that just do not make sense in this world. They don't need to breathe, though you can't gas them. You can't really hurt them when they don't feel pain the same way we do. The only way you can do it is you have to chop them up and light them on fire, but you can't chop them up because very few materials are capable of doing that. And then we get to why Aro said this, if it just doesn't make much sense. Well, Aro was saying this to a crowd of vampires that were very out of touch and considering an insurrection. They were not convinced they needed the involtory, so he improvises that humans have these things called missiles now. Do you know what missiles are? Missiles are scary. Missiles. And so the vampires listening to this, most of them don't have an education, certainly not a modern education. They are very old. Missiles are very strange and scary to them. And they have no idea of realizing if this is and is not a threat to them. And it sounds good. So that's our theory of why Aro gave the missile speech. And that it uh, sort of worked. They took him seriously. At that point, we still had people talking about insurrection. So I guess it didn't work that well. Yeah, well, he had to say something. <laughs> he had to say something. So what are we left with? What's what's our the answer we've landed on? Basically, quite simply, the secret forces vampires to limit themselves. If they're going to keep themselves secret from humans, then they have to feed sparsely. They have to feed out of sight. They can't go after our world leaders and they can't enslave an entire village, which would hinder you know, the development of our society, which Aro seems to admire and enjoy human like human culture, human art. There is this very clear intention on the part of the law in keeping a secret, in not just protecting our lives, but in enabling us to live freely, to develop. This supports what we see of Twilight, as there are very few of them, and they have to fight for territory. If they could just feed as much as they wanted, then that wouldn't be the same matter. You have the Irish coven, the Egyptian coven, covens that cover large enough territories that they can go away with a few people going missing. Three people every week in Ireland, four people in Egypt, no one's going to notice that. What you don't have is the Dublin coven. Back to the secret, because the secret is really a fascinating thing. The thing about the secret is that it isn't 
secret. In the Twilight world, we have this great con going on where the learned Western nations in the Enlightenment fooled themselves into believing that demons didn't exist. Aro had rewritten the ancient histories. He'd stolen the text. We know this canonically. They they said he did this and that he wrote the vampire myth. And then all of a sudden, people who had been believing in demons and witches and things for ages suddenly woke up and said, no, nah, these things don't exist. I don't see any evidence of that. And I imagine he was quite astonished by that because he, for as much as he'd rewritten things and tried to maintain the secret and had been working on this, you know, this had not happened before. And it's not even consistent across cultures in Twilight. We see that there are several in the modern day that believe in the vampires and, you know, demons. We have the Lapush tribe who had met vampires not even 70 years ago and very much still believe in their existence and recognize the Cullens when they return. We have people in Brazil in uh, Breaking Dawn that Bella comes across who know exactly what Edward is and societies there that a few centuries ago know exactly what vampires are. But in terms of, you know, the United States and other similar nations, it's like our world of we don't really believe in vampires. And this has not, this is a relatively recent phenomenon. So then we have, but what about before the Volturi? You know, if we have this secret and then human life developed to the point before the Volturi happened. They're only 3,500 years old and we could get into when they got into power. Meyer gives us some dates, but the dates make no sense. So we choose to ignore them and I'm not going to talk about them. Likely before the Volturi, what we had was sort of a feudal warlord type era in which dominant covens would be in a region and they pass themselves off as pantheons who would demand human sacrifice. Uh, we see that canonically with Amun. Backstory is that he is the ancient Egyptian god Amun, who was worshipped by humans, and his wife even was a human granted to him as a slave that he then turned. And so the backstory there was that the Egyptian gods were actually vampires, and that the Volturi told them to give it up and live in secret. They all refused and were killed, except for Amun, who is very bitter about it to this day and has chosen to do anything to survive. Then we also see the Romanians who styled themselves similarly as glorious gods and had to fight the Volturi when they came with their law. And because changing their lifestyle so as to keep the secret was out of question and worth dying for, and they too are very bitter in Breaking Dawn and bringing up the glory days when humans would sacrifice themselves to them on a platter and all was wonderful. To get a bit into how Aro falsified history, because that is what he seems to have done. Because there is no shortage of ancient civilization who kept meticulous records of things. That is why writing was invented. The Romans, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, they all had to know what was where. And in a pre-Volterial world where vampires are living openly and among humans, this means that there will be records of vampires. They eat people, they plunder the mortals of clothes and nice things, they are literal gods, people are turned into vampires, their territorial wars. These are all things that will make it into the records of any civilization with an existing bureaucracy where vampires are common knowledge. While this has to have existed, by all appearances, it doesn't anymore in the present day. We see, for instance, Bala's attempts to research Edward doesn't yield any worthwhile information. It's just vampires remembered as what Aro said they are. Uh, the human world is looking the same. There's every indication that we share the same history and cultural development, even though we live in very different worlds. Either the existence of vampires somehow failed to influence anything, or Aro not only set out these rumors about vampires, but he genuinely rewrote human history. So how? First off, there's a lot that Aro wouldn't have been able to, to touch. 
um, a lot a lot of societies spread history orally and we see indeed that several societies still remember vampires but western societies which have largely depended on written records we have forgotten what he couldn't have predicted is the way we would study history with the enlightenment and with the 19th century came a new way of regarding the past and of regarding the study of history itself that was unprecedented as we started doing it for its own sake and archaeologists are now digging into riverbank to see what segments can tell us about drought in the middle in, in the bronze age that is not something Ara could have predicted or nor the translations that we put ourselves through we make computer programs to translate ancient texts. Point is, what Ara could see is how written records could be not just preserved, but troublesome for him. We know that he has had interactions with humans. He passes himself off as an art patron. And it is not a folly to assume that he might have passed himself off as a scholar as well to gain access to texts. And he might also simply have broken into monasteries and libraries whenever necessary, because no one's going to stop him. What might he have done? Most of human history is based on or rather much of ancient Western history, to be more correct, is based on surprisingly few sources, at least when it comes to the written records. So the Peloponnesian Wars, we owe most of what we know about that to um, Sucidides. And we owe much of what we know about the Julio-Claudian dynasty to Titus and Suetonius, known historians whose job description was literally historian. Everyone knew that they were writing the histories of the Caesars. Meddle with these very authoritative sources who were well known even in their time uh, or bring a chisel to a temple and just dimensions about vampires and now you have meddled with very tangible reminders about uh, of human history. And how specifically would you go about this is not as hard as one would think, at least not if you're being meticulous and have unlimited resources. Because a lot of the uh, surviving testimonies that we have of the past are either copies or translations of original texts where... Um, uh, you know, the old would be decrepit and some monk would write a, a transcription and then throw away the old. Introducing false copies or forgeries and changing things along the way or even destroying an entire storage of text if he wants to make things a bit sudden and easy for him. It's going to be extremely easy for Aro. And the question of, okay, why do this if his goal is most these old texts aren't interfering they are not killing any humans nor are they interfering with human development but aro has set the official mission to be that vampire shall be secret from humans being thorough in this manner helps give devotory legitimacy whether he actually expected humans to forget is a different matter but they did <laughs> So to go on a bit of a tangent, to get back to what we introduced in the beginning of the episode, why so few other creatures? That's a question we get again all the time. Well, that actually makes sense to me too, because vampires as apex predators wiped them out as they were competitors for the same food source. So why so few vampires? Same reason, apex predators, there can't be too many of them in a territory or else they overeat. So they're killing each other constantly for the same territory or else being killed by the Volturi. We never see them, or in the cases where we do see these vampires, we see a lot of them murdered. Many of the vampires that Bella has a run-in with uh, end up murdered for one reason or another. So quite a few big death toll that Bella doesn't think too much about. So what happens if someone blows the secret? Now, we're in for a lot of vampires eating us because, hey, all bets are off, right? But it's not actually as big a deal as you would think, because 
this is what it's always been, at least until very recently. The point of the secret isn't actually the secret, it's just to make vampires keep it, to moderate themselves. So, okay, we all believe in demons again, that's sad, but every time a demon eats too many of us, they're going to get janked. Aro just took a few steps back. And it's not even really a step back because he's just as powerful as ever. And so the reason we spent an entire episode on this and went on off on a lot of tangents is, as you can tell, we actually find this very interesting. This is very refreshing compared to most isekai-type storylines where it's never properly explained why there's a secret and how it's been held as long as it has. And even if it is explained, it makes no damn sense. And it's clearly there just so we can have this isekai protagonist. This this secret, for all Meyer probably didn't think it through as much as we have now, makes a lot of sense and is fascinating for the history of Twilight and what this means. And this is also where we'd normally admit we could be wrong about this, and it's possible that the secret is about something else, or that we're wrong about whatever, but in this case, we can't. It's just so boring. You know, if the Volturi just become comic book bil- villains drunk on power by not being drunk on power, it's it's ridiculous. Because the thing is, the power they have is not abused, or at least not in the way I'd expect it to be. There's no tithes. Uh, we don't see any taxation paid. We don't see any visits to all of the covens periodically and demanding they hand over any useful or particularly attractive members. We see none of that. They go out of their way seemingly to enforce their life fairly. If they don't like you, but you haven't done anything wrong, we have seen instances where you're free to go. We see that in canon. And people will disagree on that, but that's a whole other can of worms that's saved for, frankly, a Volturi-specific episode, and this was on the world building. But so far as we can tell, to an actually quite eerie degree, all the Volturi want is for people to obey the damn law. And it just so happens that that's surprisingly difficult for not only all of the vampires, but our hero and main character, Edward Cullen, who uh, breaks this law on a very frequent basis. All the time. He has zero respect for the law. Nobody (laughs) does. They're all just sitting there like, you can tell me what to do, Aro. Stupid Aro thinks you can tell me what to do. (laughs) That is actually true. No, but it's beautiful. I'm just gonna, sort of as a teaser for the inevitable Volturi episode, at one point, um, Garrett, we mentioned earlier, is a vampire who was turned during the American Revolution, and he just, he never stopped wanting to stick it to the Brits. He, he, He just really wants to fight the British again. It becomes increasingly clear over the course of his speech in Breaking Dawn that the Volturi are just surrogate britain well it was never very secret when the volturi arrived he's like oh the red coats are coming the red coats are coming and then he almost starts a war because really 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 wants that revolution then aro says yeah you're very revolutionary and he says you're you're calling me a revolutionary as if i'm your king you're my king and i'm revolutionizing is that what you're saying that you're my king huh and aro just stares at him (laughs) this is a i i wish i was paraphrasing that i was exaggerating but this is it's a real thing that happens and that that goddamn movie was too horrible, like too shitty to include. <laughs> yeah, our thoughts on the Twilight film franchise are not a secret either. <laughs> but uh, what I will say is that it wasn't so much that the movies didn't do the books justice and they didn't because they were just so hopefully mediocre and boring. I don't know how anyone watches them, but they just missed so much of the delightfully bizarre that I can't stand it because they toned down everything. 
And the beauty of Twilight is its madness. Yeah, it's the, you can just see the producers crying in every single scene of these films. Just, <laughs> oh, make this marketable. I want the blockbuster, not this weird shit that Maya wrote. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that yeah, explains we love why you, Maya. Breaking... Your producers don't, but we do. Yeah, it explains why Breaking Dawn Part 1 was so weird, because it was Rosemary's baby, but didn't want to admit it was Rosemary's baby. Yeah, look at the happy wedding, guys. Please, look at the happy wedding. They're going to we'll the nightclub. They're dancing. This is not a horror movie. I we'll spent 30 minutes on this wedding. <laughs> no, I think it was 40, actually. Oh. oh, it just kept on going. All right, enough about that. I think I think we're done here. Yeah, uh, it's time to bring out Torgrim. For those who don't know, um, we blow up our patrons. Um, <laughs> they pay for this honor. Yeah, and we don't have so many patrons, so I think they've all been blown up at least once now. Uh, we'll find out who becomes even uh, smaller dust. Okay, Muffin, supply the drum roll. Torgrim blows up Rivkale. Oh, yeah, I think we have blown up Rivkale, but yeah, several you're, times. Blown up, you're blown up again. Congratulations. Yeah, we'll send a letter to your mom. You have a good patron. We liked you. Okay, um, with that, in case we don't see you again, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.